Northwest Eye Surgeons and Site Partners, I am Dr. Brett Bentz, and you're listening to The Focal Point, where we invite doctors and surgeons from the fields of ophthalmology and optometry to discuss the latest trends in medical eye care. This is the final podcast for our first series of podcasts that has been designed as a mix of mainstream and relevant clinical topics that we hope has been refreshing to you to review with us. For today, we are going to discuss perhaps one of the leading hot topics that we hear about and certainly heavily marketed, which is refractive lens exchange or RLE. Now, RLE has been around for many years, but recently it's been a bit of a resurgence in part due to improvements in IOL optics and technology, but more on that later. So to discuss this further, we are very fortunate to have one of our leading surgeons and true patient advocate for making the right decision for them, Dr. Christy Bailey. Dr. Bailey practices at our Bellingham Whatcom Eye Surgeons Clinic and also at the Northwest Eye Surgeons Mount Vernon office. And she specializes in cataract surgery with premium IOLs that fall under our vision correction plans. And she also manages medical retina patients. As a side note, we want to acknowledge that she has a leadership role with us as managing partner of Northwest Eye Surgeons and Site Partners. So that's a big hat. So Dr. Bailey, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much, Brett, and thank you for that uh, wonderful, glowing introduction uh, that makes me stand really tall, so I really appreciate all that, and really happy to be a part of this. I think this uh, series uh, has been a great uh, kickoff for increasing knowledge and education and connection uh, between you know our practice and all of our referring doctors and hopefully anybody else who's listening. Um, I think uh, the more we know, the more we know, and the better we do. So I'm <laughs> delighted to be a part of it. Okay. So to start off, uh, we are in the primary eye care optometric physician office, and their patients ask about RLE and if they would be a good candidate, especially after hearing about it from friends and TV and radio ads. So what is your recommendation to them? Who is a typical good candidate? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you said, this is uh, refractive lens exchange is becoming uh, more and more popular, as you know, it's been around a long time. Um, but with more, you know, advertising and discussion and uh, the increase in the number and quality of our premium IOLs, it's becoming uh, a greater uh, proportion of the patients who are seeking to have spectacle independence. Um, so, the, the first thing we'd be looking at is you know, those with high refractive errors, um, the myopes, hyperopes, uh, patients with high levels of astigmatism that are obviously out of the range of corneal refractive surgery. You know, those are the more obvious uh, patients. Or uh, patients whose refractive errors may be just within the margins of corneal refractive surgery, but whose quality of vision could be compromised by that level of corneal treatment that would be required. And then finally, you know, any patient who is at or nearing, you know, the age of dysfunctional lens syndrome where presbyopia will be coming into play uh, in short order, those are uh, really great candidates for this. So, you know, the low-hanging fruit patients who would be an ideal candidate would be uh, perhaps a hyperope uh, who is uh, nearing or in uh, presbyopia age. 
uh, those are ideal candidates. But again, high astigmatism, high myopes, also great candidates as well. At the same time, can you think of some qualities of somebody who would make them a poor candidate for RLE? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, as with any, you know, um, refractive procedure where the patient, you know, has, you know, expectations of spectacle independence and good quality of vision, we want a generally healthy eye. Um, so, you know, as with any refractive procedure, uh, the ocular surface uh, really should be optimized. A poor tear film uh, would be a poor candidate for either a corneal or a lens-based procedure. Um, that's certainly something that could be treated and optimized, but we'd want to look at that carefully. Um, any other comorbidities, uh, such as um, iritis, recurrent iritis, uh, uncontrolled glaucoma, uh, uncontrolled diabetes, or you know other retinal disorders such as AMD, these also make poor candidates not only for you know complications and uh, issues with a procedure, uh, but also in, in expectations. Um, you know some of those things may not be absolutes. You know a person who you know has a high refractive error, they have mild AMD, and they really would like to have spectacle independence. Um, that can still be accomplished. It just there needs to be a much more extended conversation about expectations of a visual outcome and what that can mean for them going forward. Um, same thing if you look at, you know, any corneal-based um, uh, disorders such as, you know, Gutata, uh, Fuchs dystrophy, those things. Um, anything that would make you hesitant about touching the eye to begin with um, should give you pause about offering a refractive lens exchange. Many ads talk about this, you know, five to 10-minute painless procedure, and they perhaps oversimplify that this is a surgery. So if patients, patients themselves ask about RLE, what would be a responsible answer about risks? Absolutely. You know, they're, I mean, these are wonderful procedures. You know, uh, in general, these are very short surgeries. They're relatively comfortable to undergo. Uh, the healing process is fairly quick and easy. Uh, but this is still surgery. And so we should always take that seriously, um, with the, both the patient and in the planning for um, all of the, all procedures in general. You know, some of the risks that we think about for um, a refractive lens exchange, well, I mean, frankly, they're the exact same as for cataract surgery. So, you know, this is an intraocular surgery. So it does carry the risks of endophthalmitis, which, as we know, is extraordinarily rare. Um, retinal detachment is a, uh, is a risk as well. Um, and, you know, that the difference is, is those are those particular risks are not meaningful risks when you're looking at, you know, corneal refractive procedures. So it is a bit of a different conversation. But the, the, the overall risks of cataract surgery, as we know, are pretty minor. And so, you know, RLE would carry those same exact risks. And so the conversation should be the same. You know, particular attention should be um, paid to, you know, a high myope who, you know, by definition would have, um, you know, a higher risk of a retinal detachment. So, you know, the, the advantages of the surgery should very much be balanced against those risks and a uh, careful examination of the retina and potentially even, you know, as we would for even cataract surgery, if a patient is of cataract age and has a, a visually significant cataract, you know, looking potentially at the peripheral retina, if there's an indication for potentially some uh, laser to tamponade the retina and hopefully avoid complication that should be considered an RLE. 
Um, of course, there's some advantages too here, you know, surgically because, you know, one, this is a, a cataract preventing procedure, if you will. Um, and so this will be, you know, potentially the only surgery the patient will ever need. Um, so that's, that's an advantage there. And, you know, also, you know, a patient who does have a coronal procedure and then goes on to having uh, a cataract procedure later, um, they're also, you know, introducing, you know, potentially uh, refractive surprise. So that could then necessitate touch-ups and a, you know, additional surgery. So, you know, there's pros and cons, but I think the responsible answer is to give the same uh, risks as a cataract surgery would give. How does age factor into the decision in your practice regarding consideration of RLE, especially considering the presbyopic population increasing in, in uh, the demographic that we face as patients? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, as we see just with, you know, cataract surgery patients, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, younger and younger patients coming in for cataract evaluations. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's, that's, you know, multi, multifaceted, you know, one, you know, we are offering cataract surgery, you know, sooner than we used to, you know, remember the time when we used to, uh, describe a cataract as being ripe mm -hmm. <laughs> and we would, you know, the patient had to get to a place of, you know, uh, extreme visual impairment before the surgery would be offered. And, you know, now with the, the surgery becoming um, safer and the technology advancing, you know, we are seeing younger patients uh, having their cataract surgery done. So we're in, you know, in, uh, in addition to that, seeing younger patients coming in for uh, RLE. So, you know, in my opinion, you know, once a patient is close to or at uh, dysfunctional lens syndrome age, and they're starting to experience any of that, really the advantage is to move towards refractive lens exchange rather than corneal refractive procedure. So, you know, I would say on average 40 or above, you know, we really should be looking at that because they're close to presbyopic age. It won't be long before they're going to be needing a, a lens-based surgery regardless. So if that can be done and uh, alleviate both the development of a cataract and also uh, give them the offerings of presbyopic correction simultaneously, that's really the best option for the patient. I would, you know, I do take caution in a particular group of patients, such as the low myopes, <laughs> you know, your minus two, minus 250s mm -hmm. who still have, you know, a great near range um, because, you know, they, they, they still have some great near vision uh, and a range of vision. And, you know, the presbyopic, you know, uh, presbyopia correcting lenses that we have, while they're marvelous and have really just improved leaps and bounds in the last few years, um, you know, they still do carry, you know, some risks of, you know, glare and halos and some night quality vision issues. So again, it just needs to be a, a, a very detailed and extended discussion with the patient about their goals and an understanding of that. Just make sure the patient is uh, fully informed and has realistic expectations. Thank you for bringing up the low myo topic because a patient that uh, we saw, actually when Dr. Steve Brown was doing surgery, it was a young woman, I should say young woman, she was younger than me. <laughs> she was in her 50s who actually had surgery in a plano distance, but she was a minus two and a half and she was extremely unhappy that she lost that myopia. So, you know, patient expectations have to be explained that what we think is a good outcome has to be defined by that person. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So, so uh, one last question uh, based on kind of your clinical judgment. Uh, so many multifocal IOL options. And so the question to you is, when it's going to be multifocal IOL or extended depth of focus IOL or a hybrid, perhaps of both in each eye, what's your personal preference for RLE patients and how do you base that decision on what, on what factors? So, you know, and, and as you, we've seen, so that there's just an explosion of technology in the last you know, couple of decades in, in terms of, um, you know, toric lenses, extended depth of focus lenses, you know, different multifocals, um, you know, the, the LAL now being available. So it really is an absolute plethora uh, of options to choose from. Um, in my personal experience, um, what I choose as my multifocal is the pan optics lens, um, I have you know, certainly used a number of lenses over the years, all have had their pluses and minuses. And it, I really feel like my patients, since I've been switching to the panoptic several years ago, have been by far the happiest. Um, they, the, the vision is more consistent in terms of achieving the distance, mid-range, and near. Um, it does deliver in all those ranges without uh, dead zones. Um, I find that it does uh, have less complaints of glare and halos than the, than the previous generations by far, um, and better overall quality vision. So, you know, when looking at, you know, the, the most spectacle independence with having balanced vision in both eyes, uh, that's the lens I choose. So for my patients who are really looking for achieving both distance and near, um, that's usually what I start with to see if they're a candidate for that. Um, for my patients who are uh, perhaps more light sensitive, they have activities where you know any uh, glare and halo might be a problem for them. You know, then I uh, look it look towards more of the extended depth of focus lenses. Uh, the Vivity lens I have found delivers excellent quality in this in this department. Uh, so distance and mid range vision is quite good. Um, you know, it's the, I do find about a 50-50 result on my near, depending upon, you know, how long the patient's arms are, right? Um, and so I always uh, uh, caution the patient that to expect that they still will need reading glasses, but at their distance, at their dashboard range, at their computer range, as long as it's a desktop, of course, it should be absolutely fine. Um, and going back to the panoptics, I also do still uh, make sure that my multifocal patients know that in certain lighting and certain small micro near tasks, they may still need a light pair of cheaters for those things. We want to always set realistic expectations. Um, coming back to the, to the extended depth of focus, one way that I find that, so let's say a patient is not a good candidate for a panoptics, but they still want, you know, more range than just um, distance and a, a desktop computer, a slight mini mono approach with an extended depth of focus lens can work really well. Um, so setting the dominant eye for Plano, of course, and then the non-dominant eye for a minus a half or a minus 0.75, uh, that can work quite well to achieve that goal. But I always want to make sure that a patient will tolerate that mini mono vision. Uh, so I've learned over the years, you know, uh, to uh, bring the patient back in and do trial framing. You know, it's it's a show them what it would be like to have the two eyes be even slightly different from one another. Uh, certainly, we do this with a true monovision patient. You know, we want to make sure we get the range right, but that can be really, really helpful in determining uh, what range they should have. 
And then the LAL, I really am starting to bring this into my practice more and more because, you know, the advantage of being able to alter the prescription after the fact to meet the patient's needs, I mean, that's just splendid. It's just a, you know, a wonderful option to have. So um, certainly for my patients who've had any other previous corneal refractive procedure where we know that refractive surprise is a possibility, um, you know, this is this is my go-to, and this is what I do highly recommend for them for that reason. You touched on a point uh, a little while ago about patients who have had previous corneal refractive surgery, and we have to watch those patients, and they're a good patient for, as you mentioned, LAL, other uh, forms of vision correction. What comes to mind is sometimes we see higher-order aberrations in those patients, so we have to keep that in mind for patient selection for these multifocals. And Dr. Bannett, who I had a chance to work with and enjoyed working with him, he was always looking for that because of his corneal background. So we had to make some lens selections based a little bit on that risk. Oh, 100%. You know, you have to take that into consideration that if the cornea has been altered uh, and you have a, a lens that's also going to create some aberration, the, the, those two coupled together you know, could give the patient, you know, quality of vision that is not satisfactory for them. So you really do need to look at, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm highly cautious of doing a multifocal in a patient who's had previous corneal refractive surgery, certainly have done it and have, and have had patients be very, very happy with that. But again, it's, it's a, a lot of counseling and that may be a place where, you know, the, the Vivity or the LAL is a, is, is a better fit. Well, again, we thank Dr. Bailey for providing uh, her perspective regarding RLE and giving us more information that doctors of optometry can consider when counseling your patients. Finally, we thank our incredible professional relations and marketing team for their work behind the scenes regarding the podcast and other marketing programs. We couldn't do this without them. So thanks to Stacy, Stephanie, Gina, Fernando, and Ken. That's this week's edition of The Focal Point. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and tune in next week for another episode and update on medical eye care. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Benz, and thank you for joining us.